Welcome, you awesome listeners, to your remastered Haunting Hall old-time Radio Tales 1940s series. Steve, a man without a motive, is slammed with murder and has just till midnight to find out who the killer is. Marsha, Ben, no one he knows, is there to support him, except Roy, a detective on the case. And great Scott, the body count is piling up, mates. Motive is the key. In today's tale, murder wears a mask. Our second story sees old men taking the piss out of each other based on their age. But of course, there is a reason why. Why, of course. Money. In a joined will that sees the potluck based on those left alive. We follow Lauren Stibbins and friends who play a morbid game with players that only share these morbid intentions. The joke of the game becomes all too real. Lives are lost. All for the desire of wealth. Mystery, murder, and madness. Now before I jump into both these stories, a huge thank you to my white tea warlords, Mega Matthew J. Bauer, the amazing Maya, and the hero, Divided by Zero. To those who are new to the podcast, these are listeners that are going the extra mile to support the show. Their support and donations have enabled me to buy software that creates clearer audio for episodes like today. So a big thank you mates for your love in this space, and everyone is happier for it. And of course my old grain forces, who support this show also. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffaelli, and Michelangelo Iacone. Thanks for keeping this show's blood pumping and the lights blindingly bright. Now turn off those lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for some 1940s stories remastered for your ears. No, stay where you are. Do not break the stillness of this moment, for this is a time of mystery, a time when imagination is free and moves forward swiftly, silently. This is The Haunting Hour. Murder wears a strange mask. Every highway and byway is destiny's trail, and where it leads and what lies ahead is destiny's secret. Down a dark road speeds a car, bearing in it two who are destiny's children, or they don't know it. To themselves, they are two people on their way to a masquerade ball. Steve Raymond and his fiancée, Marsha Phillips, heading for an evening of gaiety and laughter. But they are destined to spend a strange, macabre evening in fear. For one of the guests at the masquerade is death. And you're rather fetching in your gypsy costume, Marcia. <laughs> in a moment, I'll be tempted to read your mind. Well, there isn't much I can hide from you, darling. Your womanly instincts are quite remarkable. Especially where John Williams is concerned. Oh, now, now look here, Marcia. I must admit this magician's disguise of mine isn't too effective. For one thing, it hasn't helped me to change your disposition. Steve. But if you will, my dear, please try to check your suspicions at the door. 
Unfortunately, we're not married as yet, and Ben Carter's masquerade promises too good a time for you to spoil. At the risk of being stubborn, dear, I'm curious to know what you see in her. Or perhaps you can tell me why Roy Benson is still madly pursuing her. I guess he never stopped loving her. He was her first husband. Just the same, Steve, dear. If I so much as see you go near her tonight... I might be tempted to drop a potent mixture in the punch bowl. <laughs> oh, be careful with your predictions, darling. You're a gypsy fortune teller tonight, and I'd rather not see you proven accurate. That's up to you, Steve. You're a little early with your masquerade, Marsha. Where do we get to Ben's place? Then you can feed Strict Nine to Joan Williams and all my other love. Me. I'm not supposed to know who you are. That wasn't fair, Ben. Uh, what else could we expect from my partner, dear? He knows every hair on my head. Well, don't fear. I won't give you away. Well, you both look perfect. You've adopted a rather simple costume, Ben. I've used this clown suit for 15 years. It's a durable disguise. Good heavens. Who's that fellow in the black tights and shirt supposed to be? Hmm? No, he's posing as a royal executioner. Who can it be, Steve? It's hard to tell from here. I, I don't seem to recognize him. Steve, I've simply got to find out who that executioner is. Oh, now, Marsha. He's just over there. Well, can't you wait till midnight? Why, why, here he is. Why, uh, I beg your pardon. Good evening. That's a very unusual costume you're wearing. Thank you. I uh, merely borrowed it from a friend of mine. I hope it's effective. Your voice, it, it's quite familiar. Oh, now, Miss Phillips, don't you recognize Steve Raymond's rival for Joan Williams' hand? Roy Benson. Oh. <laughs> of course. I follow Joan everywhere. And especially on a night such as this, I couldn't resist being addressed as Cinderella. And in a very charming costume, too, no doubt. Oh, but naturally, my wife, I beg your pardon, my former wife, has a talent for being beautiful. Now, what sort of executions do you have a hand in, Roy? Oh, no special method, Steve. I've really no preference. Hush, gentlemen. The dream approaches. Cinderella. Oh, my, what a charming trio. A magician, a gypsy, and an executioner. You're looking lovely, my dear. Thank you, Roy. How are you, Marsha? I don't know. As yet. How are you, Steve, dear? Looking for a glass slipper, Cinderella? And perhaps a way to break our engagement. Perhaps. Quiet, everyone. Ben's getting ready to speak. The ladies and gentlemen of the masquerade. As master of the revels, I welcome you to the ball. You've been asked here, disguised in the roles for which you have all longed these many years. You're all strangers to one another, your identity known only to yourselves. Thus you will remain till midnight. But till that hour, the mystery of the unknown is yours. The excitement of living a dream is in your hands. I see a magician here, a peasant, a statesman, a clown such as myself, and... Oh, there, there's Cinderella, who at midnight will find that dreams must end. But until the clock strikes, give yourselves to music and wine. And dancing. <laughs> now, there you are, my friends. The wilds of a sorcerer are many. Oh, show us another trick, magician. No, no, I must put my knives away now. One more trick, and your eyes will be quicker than my hand. <laughs> Steve, I've got to see you. Oh, want to know how I did that last trick? Come here. 
quickly. What's the matter, Ben? There's something upstairs I want you to see. Can't it wait? You had better come now. <laughs> Whatever it is, you're guarding it like a state secret. Ben, don't look so pale. It can't be as bad as all that. Were you up here earlier this evening? Yes, I think so. Were you in the library? Hmm. You must have been spying on me. I was there a little while ago. Where are we going? To the library. Here. Here we are. There. In front of the fireplace. No, it can't be. Unfortunately, it is. Joan Williams. Stabbed to death. I don't believe it. It's not an illusion, Steve. It's real. I found her like this a few minutes ago. But how did it happen? I thought you could tell me. What are you talking about? Look at that knife closely. Good heavens. Isn't that one of the knives that you were using in your demonstration tonight, Steve? Oh, you're talking nonsense, Ben. I didn't kill her. Who said you did? Well, you inferred it. Oh, what's the sense of this wrangling? Joan's dead. I didn't do it, but I want the man who did. There's a set of prints on the knife handle, Steve. If they match yours, well, that's the answer. You're pretty well convinced that I'm murderer, aren't you, Ben? We'll let the police decide that. I'm going to call them. Well, no, no, you can't, Ben. You've got to give me a chance first. Oh, what do you mean? I swear to you that I didn't do it, Ben. Now, you've got to let me find who did. Just a few hours, that's all I need. Just till midnight. All right, Steve. Till midnight, then. darling, who's in the library with you? Oh, come in quickly. Ben told me that you were hiding away in here. Ah, no! Steve, you killed her. No, I didn't do it. I'm wondering if you did. Don't be a fool, Steve. You can't get away with murder that easily. I had no motive, Marcia. Unfortunately, you did. Does anyone else know she's dead? Ben found the body. And he's called the police. No, he's given me till midnight to find the murderer. Oh, what a complete waste of time. Uh, not altogether, Marcia. Have you forgotten your prediction earlier this evening? That's of no importance. I'll admit I'm glad she's dead. But my wishing it didn't put that knife in her back. That remains to be seen, darling. Let's get it over and said with Steve. I hope you're guilty. I hope they hang you. You've treated me like a fool. You've asked for everything you're going to get. I didn't know you could be so vicious, Marcia. I only hope that I'll be able to testify against you. Thank you, my sweet. I'm not interrupting, am I? No. No, I'm leaving. Good luck, Steve. Don't go too far away, Marcia. You might be very helpful to me. I'll be here when the police come. So long, Marcia. Well, we both lose, Roy. Yes. So Ben told me. He also said he thinks you did it, but I don't agree. Thanks. But how about some evidence? Haven't you any ideas at all? No, but that executioner's costume of yours worries me. I'm sorry, Steve, but this is my night off. My record's as clean as yours. How about Ben? I can't figure out a motive for him. Well, he's my business partner. He might be trying to pin this on me. Very weak, old pal. Did you have a motive? Well, I wanted her to marry me again, but she refused. Said she was waiting for you to make up your mind. The police could claim I killed Joan to get her out of the way. Oh, they'll dream up some motive. I'll tell you what I'll do, Steve. I'll come in with you. I don't think you did it, and I've as much a stake as you in finding the murderer. 
Thanks, Roy. But we've got to work fast. I want to talk to Marsha. She had a pretty good motive for killing Joan. Yes, jealousy is still fashionable, Roy. That's a good lead. You'd better quiz Ben. See what you can find. He's been pretty anxious to call the police. I wonder what he's hiding. Suppose you rattle a skeleton or two in his closet, Steve. Maybe we'll come up with a murderer. Any clues so far, Steve? It's not very encouraging, Ben. Remember our agreement. Midnight's the deadline. You know, Ben, I've completely neglected to ask you some rather important questions. Hmm? No. What's on your mind, Steve? Well, for one thing, how come you happened to find Joan's body? I'll tell that to the police. Oh, I'm trying to clear myself of suspicion of murder, Ben. Make a very bad debating partner. Why not question Roy Benson? Now, listen, Ben, this is no idle business transaction. You've accused me of murder. It might be decent enough to explain why I should be so certain of your innocence. Suppose I call the police. Right now, Steve, let them settle the question of where the guilt belongs. You... You promised to hold off till midnight. Very well, then, but you might do better trying to clear yourself than just standing here arguing. Goodbye. Where are you going? I have an appointment with an executioner. Want to come along? Is Roy waiting in the library? Yes. That's strange. What's wrong? The door's locked. But the key is in the lock. Here, here, let me open it. Here we are. Ben, look, there by the table. Great Scott. It's Benson. We're too late. He's dead. It's horrible. And the bullet did a thorough job. Strange we didn't hear the shot. I used the silencer. It's still on the gun. No, don't touch it, Ben. Leave it for the police. I want to apologize, Steve. You're completely innocent. How do you know? Well, it's obvious now. Roy killed Joan probably because he was incensed at her refusal to marry him again. Then he committed suicide at the realization of what he'd done. Well, that's a logical explanation, Ben, and it clears me completely, but I can't accept it. Why not? Because Roy didn't commit suicide. Steve, look at the layout of the room yourself. The gun's in his right hand. He was shot in the right temple. And the body of his victims beside him. Very neat deduction, but you left out the one flaw. Hmm? What's that? The door to this room was locked from the outside. Obviously, death was instantaneous. If Roy had shot himself, he couldn't have locked the door from the other side. Yes, you're right. I unlocked that door myself. Yes, Roy Benson was murdered. And the killer must have been frightened away while he was locking the door. Then you're still implicated. But it's a rather gruesome joke on you. Somebody killed the executioner. A murderer has a sense of humor. Fine. Maybe my laugh's coming up. Destiny's Highway has led Stephen Raymond and his fiancée, Marsha Williams, to the home of Steve's partner, Ben Carter, where a masquerade ball is in progress. It is a house of gaiety. Music and laughter pervade the lower floor. Yes, downstairs there is revelry, but upstairs, death. In the library lie the bodies of Joan Williams and Roy Benson, her ex-husband. Steve Raymond, who has come to the masquerade dressed as a magician, is the chief suspect. For while Roy Benson was shot, the knife found in Joan Williams' body was used in Steve's magic act. 
Ben Carter, Steve's host, has promised to wait until midnight before calling the police in order that Steve might find sufficient evidence to exonerate himself and perhaps find the real murderer. Steve is alone with Ben Carter. They're talking. It's not very far from midnight, Steve. Well, until they unmask Ben, I have a chance to find the murderer. The same person killed them both. The knife that killed Joan was yours. But whose gun was it? Well, the police can trace the registry. That's impossible. The serial number was filed off. How do you know that? I examined the gun while we were upstairs. But I had told you not to, Ben. I wanted the police to find things untouched. I was only trying to help you, Steve. After all, you're the only one on whom the police can build a case. Remember, it was your knife that killed Joan. Well, whoever stole that knife from me killed Joan and Roy. Better use your magician's get-up of yours, Steve, and see if you can pull a murderer out of your top hat. Yes, I'm going back to the party and do just that. <laughs> Yes, madam, I'm a successful stockbroker. Same thing. How about another chick? Oh, I'm sorry, but I've concluded my last performance. For a long while, I'm afraid. Steve, I've got something to tell you. What is it? I can't tell you here. Come into the next room. All right. Steve, I think I know who killed Joan and Roy. Good girl. Who? Ben Carter. Are you sure? Practically. I was in the library looking at Joan's body, and I heard somebody in the next room. I turned out the lights and hid behind the large chair next to the fireplace. Did he come into the library? Yes. It was pitch black without the lights, but he had a flashlight with him. He played the light all over the floor as if he were looking for something. Do you know what it was? No, Steve. I was afraid to look out from behind the chair for fear he'd see me. How long was he there? Oh, about five minutes. I don't think he found what he was searching for, though. When he left the room, he muttered something about coming back later. Did you come right down here after he left? Oh, no. Right after he left the room, I went to the phone and called the police. Now, why did you do that? Oh, I found the murderer. So it was my duty to notify them. How do you know Ben didn't hear you call? Oh, I waited until he was far enough down the hall. I even kept the lights out in case he happened to look back. How long ago did you phone? Just a few minutes ago. I came right down here to you after I called. I'll have to work fast. Come along, Marsha. I want to look at that library. No light showing under the door. Let's go in. Nothing's been touched since I was here. Now, what could Ben have been searching for? Well, perhaps he dropped something when he killed Joan and Roy. It's possibly, but what? Steve, look. Hmm? There. Under that chair near the fireplace. Yes, I see it. What is it? A large black button. I recognize that. Didn't you notice that one of the buttons on Ben's clown suit was missing? Yes, you're right, Marsha. There. Doesn't that prove his guilt? Well, not necessarily. The thing that still interests me is his certainty that my fingerprints are on the handle of the knife that killed Joan. Well, how could it have been used without disturbing your prints? By wearing gloves and using the blade part of the knife for throwing. That's very clever of you, darling. If my prints are still on that knife handle, they were placed there when I used the weapon in my little act downstairs. When it was stolen from me, the prints were very carefully preserved. What are you going to do? I'm going to make a call, try to get some information on fingerprints. Let me have the inspector, please. Wait a minute. Someone's on the other extension. Who is it? Ben. He's decided not to wait till midnight as he promised me. He's a little worried. Listen. Inspector Boland, 
This is Ben Carter, 116 Ocean Road. Yes, Mr. Carter. There have been two murders in my house. You'd better send someone out immediately. Two murders? Both at the same time? No, they happened separately. What's going on up there? Please hurry. The murderer is still in the house. I'll watch him till you get here. We'll lock the doors. I want no one to leave before I get there. Crazy? He's giving himself up. I'm afraid he's not, Marcia. He's determined to prove me guilty. Oh, he hasn't a chance. Hasn't he? What proof do we have? Well, I saw him in this room. When Joan and Roy were killed? Of course not. But why was he sneaking around in here looking for this lost button? Well, whatever the reason, I'm afraid my goose and I are cooked quite thoroughly. Oh, no, you're not. Hey, where are you going? What? There's someone at the door. I think you ought to know I called the police. They'll be here shortly. Yes, I know. We heard you on the phone, Ben. I wouldn't advise either of you to leave the house. Why don't you stop all this pretense, Ben? We know you killed Joan and Roy. <laughs> Marcia's still loyal to you, Steve. I was behind this chair earlier this evening when you came up here prowling around with a flashlight. Well, why didn't you help me find what I was searching for? Was it this? Yes. That's the button from my costume. Please give it to me. Oh, no, no, no. This goes to the police. Well, I... Oh, don't be absurd, Marsha. I lost it up here before the ball began. I'm sorry to contradict you, Ben, but it was on your clown suit when we first came tonight. Oh, right. Thanks for calling the police, Ben. All right, I admit I lost it up here after Joan and Roy were killed. I, I wanted the button back because I knew it would look suspicious if the police found it. Mm-hmm. It's midnight. I have to end the masquerade. Yes, and we mustn't delay the master of the revels. Uh, coming, Steve? Yes, might as well, Ben. We'll keep an eye on one another until the police decide which one of us is the murderer. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the masquerade, the time has come when you must leave the mystery of the unknown and return to the reality of the present. The peasant will become a wealthy man, the clown a respected philosopher, the beggar a statesman. This is the moment. Unmask, please. Ben, the police are in the hall. Take care of them for a minute, Steve. I'll be right back. Oh, I'll give them all the clues they require. Well, what's the delay? Mr. Carter will be here in just a moment, Inspector. My name's Steve Raymond. I believe that Mr. Carter considers me the principal suspect. Did you do it? No. I hope you'll believe me. I believe no one, only evidence. Would you care to see the bodies? I want to see Mr. Carter first. Come on, Inspector, that came from the garden. Then that's where we're heading for. Let's go. All right, now, calm yourself. We've no time for hysteria. I was sitting here under this arbor when I suddenly heard someone moving in back of me. I turned around quickly and saw Ben come toward me. That gun was in his hand. What did he say to you? Oh, his face had sort of a crazy look on it. He told me that I was the only one who could possibly testify against him. He came closest to me and brought the gun down as if to strike me. Did he hit you? No. No, I dodged the blow and... And I grappled with him for the gun. Finally, I managed to get possession of it. And I shot him. It was the only thing I could do. Let me see that gun, Mr. Raymond. Here you are, Inspector. Will you hold the flashlight, Mr. Raymond? Surely. 
Now, just a little fingerprint powder over the butt of the revolver. There we are. Now, do you see the impression? Yes, there are two distinct sets of prints on the butt. Just as I told you, Ben and I fought for the gun. Is your conclusion the same as mine, Mr. Raymond? I'm afraid it is, Inspector. Marsha lied in her story. That's ridiculous, Steve. Don't you see the two sets of prints? That's just it, Marsha. If you and Ben had fought for possession of the gun, the two sets of prints would have been smudged and blurred. Not distinct and clear as they are now. It was very convenient of you to tell that story. Why'd you try to kill this man? Try? He's dead, isn't he? Not quite. Fortunately for him, one bullet missed and the other just creased his scalp. He'll be around shortly and in fine shape to testify against you. This was your second mistake, Marshal. I first became suspicious of your sudden reformation in my behalf when you told me you dialed the police telephone number in the darkened library. I was convinced you hadn't phoned when we listened in on Ben's call to police headquarters. It was obvious from the inspector's reaction that it was the first report of the murders he had had. Watch out, old lady. Don't make me chase you through the garden. I'm not that young anymore. Let go of me. Go of me. Of course I killed him. Joan was a worthless fool trying to take you away from me. I stole your knife and used it the way you guessed I did. Your prints were on the handle, but Ben didn't know for certain whether they were yours. Why did you kill Roy? He accused me of killing Joan, and he told me that he had the proof to back up his charge. And I couldn't take a chance. If I hadn't locked the door, you would never have guessed that it wasn't suicide. One mistake is all that's needed, young lady. Well, Mr. Raymond, I guess that's about all. Yes, Inspector. I'm afraid the masquerade is over. From shadows and stillness, mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubts and fears. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory in the haunting hour. stillness of this moment, for this is a time of mystery, a time when imagination is free and moves forward swiftly, silently. This is The Haunting Hour. Fulton Street, 
where fishing vessels and other boats come laden with cargo for New York City's people and industry, lies the Schooner Hotel, surrounded by dingy fish markets, gray, forbidding warehouses, and abandoned buildings. It overlooks the cobblestones of South Street. Many years ago, perhaps, it was the private mansion of some colonial merchant. Now, it houses only the old, the poor, and the unwanted. Retired sailors and fishermen, broken-down draymen, and those who have lived out their lives, but have not died. One foggy December evening, a shining black limousine glided to a stop in front of the hotel. Mrs. Ralph Hollister sat in the back, tense with shock and astonishment. Schooner Hotel. Snowden, are you sure this awful place is where my stepfather lives? Yes, ma'am. I checked the address with the the detective. He said Mr. Stebbins had been here three months, ma'am. Snowden, wait here, please. If I need your help, I'll call you. Yes, ma'am. Funny the old gentleman coming back to where he started, isn't it, Mrs. Hollister? Don't worry, Snowden. He won't be there for long. I'm tired, Mr. Hazard. Sit, floor. Practically there. Here it is, Mom. Be there, you old grave robber. What in the name of Sam Hiller? Diana. Good evening, Father. Oh, yeah, Diana. Joe, I'd like you to meet my daughter, uh, my stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. Diana, this walking corpse is Joe Hazard. He runs the place. We've met. That'll be all, Mr. Hazard. Yes, ma'am. See you later, Larry. Dead, I hope. Let's go inside, Dad, and shut the door. Mm, have, a, have a seat, Diana. I won't sit down because I'm not going to stay. You've had us all worried sick, running away from home and not letting us know where you were. I sent you postcards. What more do you want? You're coming home with me right now, immediately. Let's start packing. Now, Diana, don't start that. I'm not going back to all those stuffy society people. You're 78, Father. You're rich, entitled to comfort. Diana, now you get this straight. I won't go back with you. Dad. Now, listen, Diana. I've got everything I want. Good fishing, good sleeping, good eating, good friends. Friends? Those... Those horrible men? Yes, friends. There's not one of us that doesn't look forward to the other's funeral. Hey, Joe, Joe, put another lump of coal on the stove. It's cold in the lobby. Why don't you wear a warmer shroud? Now, don't be so stingy. (laughs) You won't be here much longer to enjoy your money. Look who's talking about money, Joe. The undertaker told me that Stebbins was in pricing a gold casket the other day. <laughs> That's a good one. Now, look here, Joe. There are nine of us, all about the same age. What do you mean, same age? I'm 18. Okay, okay, Pete. But you'll all see, I'm going to outlast the rest of you old duffers. That boasting of yours is a bad business, Stebbins. Uh, Joe's right. As a matter of fact, you haven't been looking so well lately, Stebbins. Who says? Me, Tim Owen. Uh, so do I. Spinelli, the oyster man, looked just like you do right before he was took, huh? And he was hardly 75. Now, look, Peter, if you don't stop uh, me... Don't be a sorehead, Stebbins. 
Pete's just paying you back. Mm, I can take it, Tim. But you've all been ganging up on me. Haven't you, Scott? What's fair is fair. Lay off him, boys. Scotty's right, yeah. Of course, Larry. And the boys can't help it. And many a time I see them taking an old horse from Frenchy's stable. And I says to myself, I wonder when they're going to lead Larry Stebbins away. <laughs> you get a big kick out of seeing me go, wouldn't you? Of course I would. With you gone and all our wills made out to the survivor, there'd be real money in the pot. Sure, before we cut you in, the whole price for surviving weren't more than 20000 for the whole eight of us. And now it's millions. And that's why we're ganging up on you. Larry, I, I never could figure why with all your dough you took a hand in it. Why to win, of course, Tim. To see if I can lick the game of death the way I've licked everything else. Stebbins, you know what I think. No, what? I think you're nuts. What? Well, we'll see. Now, Tim, I ran into a bargain you could use real soon. Yeah? Yeah. A nice, cheap gray. <laughs> It was horrible, Ralph, and yet he absolutely refused to leave. Well, Diana, we might as well face it. Your stepfather hasn't been happy living with us. But why must he stay in a place like the schooner? Oh, any other surroundings are too tame for him. He's always been a vigorous person. Then, oh, there's this morbid game they play. It's incredible. One night, he said he climbed into bed and found a tombstone there with his name on it. Oh, it isn't human, Ralph. It isn't human. Oh, Diana. Now, darling, take it easy. Ralph, you've got to make him move. You've just got to. All right, Diana, but how? I don't know. You just must go down there with me and speak to him. No, I'm afraid speaking won't do any good, dear. We'll have to use force. All his life, Lawrence Stebbins has used force, and it's the only thing he understands. Do you know where Mr. Stebbins is, Mr. Owens? Mm, couldn't rightly see Saw him go out early this morning. Hasn't been sitting around the stove at all today like he usually does. Oh, where's Mr. Hazard? Joe, he's out for a breath of air. Won't do him no good, though. What do you mean? He's bound to go anyway. <gasps> Ralph, don't listen to him. It's just that awful game. Oh, oh, here's Joe now. Hey, Joe, Larry Stebbins' daughter's looking for him. You seen him? I've come to take Mr. Stebbins home, Mr. Hazard. I'm afraid you won't be able to do that, Miss Hollister. Why? Where is he? Is this his cap, Mom? Oh, let me see it, please. Initials L.S. Abbott, brother. Yes, that's where he buys his clothes. Yes, I think it is. I thought so. Some kids out there gave it to me. Where'd they find it? Uh, they said it belonged to a guy who jumped off the end of the pier. An old man, like myself, I said. Suicide? That's what it looks like to me, mister. No, Ralph, it couldn't be. If there was one thing that Lawrence Tebbins wanted, it was to stay alive. You, you mean... I mean... If he died, there was just one reason. Murder. Here it is, Fish Market Diner. Well, let's go in, Ralph. All right. But I still don't see why you're so suspicious. What can I do for you? Did you know Lawrence Stebbins of the Schooner Hotel? Sure, I know him. Great sport, regular customer. Oh, was he in here today? Sure was. Had a big breakfast and was happy as a weasel. Next thing I knew, he kicked the bucket. What do you mean he was happy? Well, Mac, uh, he was cracking wise. He even did an old-time dance with his hat on his cane. Hat? You mean his cap? Oh, no, ma'am. He was wearing a hat. Oh, 
we just stand here opposite the hotel, we can watch who comes and goes without being seen in the dark. Diana, watch that door. Someone's coming now. Oh, you know him. That's Tim Owen. No, I, I can't see very well. we better get closer. Let's go over behind the loading platform on the next pier. All right. The light should show their faces better from there. Let's go. Made it. Look. Look where? Right behind me. Yes, there are two of the old men. Pete Sanders and Charlie Hall. Both asleep. Yes. But they're not asleep. They're dead. Stone dead. It was just at the side of the pier north of the hotel. As soon as we saw them, we came for you, Sergeant Boyd. Uh, you say there were two of them. Yes, you, you can see for yourself. Uh, probably just a couple of bums sleeping off a drunk. On a December night? Besides, I'm sure they were Pete Sanders and Charlie Hall. They were dead, all right. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. You're a little edgy about your stepfather's suicide, ain't you, ma'am? Oh, of course I am. Well, you could have made a mistake. You know, the police boat is still out there dragging the river. May take days to find him. Well, here we are. Now, we were standing just about here, weren't we, Diana? And the bodies were... The bodies? They're gone. Oh, say, Joe, Sergeant Boyd was in here looking for Pete Sanders and Charlie Hall while you was out. Uh, what do you want him for, Scotty? Oh, said Stebbins' daughter thought she saw him dead. Yeah, the way she and her husband was talking, you'd think Larry Stebbins wasn't fit for the undertaker anyway. No, no, Tim, don't hold it against the young lady. She's all worked up. Yeah. They'll find the old man's body, she'll calm down, and we can all go to the funeral. Oh, say, Tim, yeah. you didn't happen to see Pete or Charlie this evening? No, I didn't, Scotty. But I was out a while. Maybe Sullivan did. Wake up, Sullivan. Wake up. He's been sitting here in the lobby all evening, snoozing off and on. That's a good idea, Tim. Uh, Sullivan. Sullivan. Hey, wake up. Uh, he's out like a light. Hey, I think I'll hang some crepe on him. Scare him when he comes to me. Oh, lay off that stuff for a while, Tim. It, it gives me the willies. Uh, Sullivan. Sullivan. Try shaking him, Scotty. Sullivan. Uh, wake up. Pat. Hey. Hey, don't fall over like that. Joe. Joe, he's not asleep. He's dead. Diana, let's go home. No one's got in or out of the hotel for an hour. Ralph, I'm just as cold as you are, but I'm going to stay here. Even if it takes all night. All right, darling. Anyway, I'm convinced that you're right. The person who killed Sanders and Hall killed your stepfather, too. Only this time we came along before the bodies were disposed of. Ralph. What, Diana? Those were real bodies, weren't they? Certainly. I even noticed a small wounded one. I think it was Hall. That's exactly what I mean. If they were carried anywhere, there might be blood stains. Yes. We could trace them. They were probably taken backwards toward the river. I'll look there. I'll look over here towards the street. All right. No. Nothing here. Ralph. What? Come here. What is it, Diana? I picked up a trail of dark red spots. Good. Yes. We'll follow them. They seem to lead right to this abandoned building next to the hotel. So they do. From the direction, I'd say they'd go straight to that side door. Oh, we'll try it. Mm-hmm. That's where they've gone. I'll try the door. Diana. It's open. Come on in. 
Good evening, Diana. Good evening, Ralph. I've been expecting you. Mr. Stebbins. When Lawrence Stebbins disappeared from the shabby schooner hotel at the waterfront, the police and everyone else thought he had committed suicide. However, his stepdaughter Diana and her husband, Ralph Hollister, felt that Larry Stebbins, who had fought his way up in the world, would not give up the ghost simply because he was badgered by the other old men living at the hotel. They were sure someone had begun to play the macabre game of death in earnest, especially after they found two of the old men dead. But when they opened the side door of the abandoned house next to the hotel and were greeted genially by the man whose murderer they were seeking, they didn't know what to think. Well, Diana, what's the matter? You look as if you're not glad to see me. Oh, it's not that. Father, you're not... We thought that you were... You You gave us quite a turn, Mr. Stebbins. If we expected anything, we thought it would be your... I mean, that we wouldn't find you here quite like this. You mean you thought I was dead? Well, why not say it? Well, after all... Can't stand this pussyfooting about a common natural word. We all die sooner or later. Question is, who manages to hold on a little longer? Oh, please. Don't start that morbid talk again. It ain't morbid. It's natural. It's horrible. Now, now, Mr. and Mrs. Hollister, do you mind telling me what you're doing snooping around at this time of night? Oh, sir, I think it's your turn to answer that question. Why, right at this moment, the police are dragging a river for your body. They are? <laughs> That's downright amusing. <laughs> eh, poor fellows must be cold out there. I fail to see anything funny about it. Eh, you wouldn't. Why are you here? Well, I can't like it here. Quiet. Lots of young people. Stop that nonsense. Why are you here? Here? Uh, here? Oh, yes, here. Uh, well, uh, I was locked up here. Oh, that's not true. The door was open when we came in. Well, that's true. Very true. Uh, and you know why the door was open? No. All I know is that you're telling me a story. Uh, you're wrong, Diana. You see, the door was open to let you come in. You wanted to come in, didn't you? Yes, but I don't see what that has to you do with... You wanted to come in. I unlocked the door. Now, really, I don't see that you have any cause for complaint. Look, that's beside the point. You say you were locked in here. Why? Why? Well, well, well it's this way. A fellow wanted to kidnap me. You mean that, that you're hiding here from someone? No, no. No, no. He did kidnap me. Oh, sure. And then he gave you a key so that you could get out. Mm, the funny thing about that, he doesn't know I have the key. <laughs> now, what do you think about that, Diana? That's something, isn't it? Huh? If you've got a key, why don't you leave? No, 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 couldn't do that. Next time he came around to check up on me, he'd miss me. Uh, things just wouldn't work out right. Just who is this person? Who? Who? Uh, oh, yes, yes, who? Uh, uh, Joe Hazard. Uh, he forced me in here. Why? Mm, figure he wanted me out of the way for a little while. Uh, what do you think? I think it's all a pack of lies. What do you mean? You don't have to stay down here one minute longer and you're not going to. You're coming home with us right now. Now, wait a minute. Uh, so do you think you're bossing around? Oh, Ralph didn't mean anything, Father. It's only that this whole stupid affair has gone far enough. I told you I wasn't going uptown with you. All right, Diana, it's no use arguing. There's only one way to handle this. Grab his other arm and get out of here. Come on, Come on, go, Ever since I retired, you two have been trying to run me. Well, you're not going to any longer. No one in the world can run Larry Stebbins. Hi, Lawrence Stebbins, what's come over you? Just come to my senses, that's all. I want to stay here, and nobody's going to tell me different. Now, get moving. What? Huh? Where to? 
You're going down the cellar. Well, you can't interfere. Turn left. Now, down those stone steps. The bloodstains, they go this way. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Be quiet, Diana. You wouldn't want to get me in trouble, would you? Now, you. Ralph, open that closet door. (gasps) Ralph! The bodies, they're in here. Go ahead, get in there, both of you. Show up yet, Jim? Uh, no, Joe, and I've been sitting here all the time. I'm beginning to think the Hollisters were right. Yeah, so am I, Scotty. There's some funny things going on around here, and we ought to pay them some mind. There's only five of us left. Us three, McIntyre and Everett. We'd better work fast. Where is Mac and Everett, Joe? Went to bed, Jim. I told them they better stay down here, but they laughed and said I was nuts. Didn't they, Scotty? Mac mm. said he was going upstairs to dream about my burial. Mm. I got sore as all heck. I... I can't stand that talk anymore after what's happened. Scotty, go upstairs and tell them to come down here. We ought to keep together. I'd feel safer if I knew you was all sitting here in the lobby. Uh, okay, but they'll probably yell murder when I wake them. You know what I think, Tim? Hmm. I think Stebbins' suicide was a put-up job. How do you figure that, Joe? Just got a feeling. The way the boys acted when they gave me his cap, like they was rehearsed. And then everything that's happened tonight. I tell you, I'm scared. I'm scared stiff. So am I. You fellas thought Stebbins was kidding about living longer. But he's not that kind of a guy. Look how he made his dough in the shipping business. What do you mean, Joe? Oh, like he said once, he always got what he wanted. He wouldn't stop at nothing. Never has. But murder, Joe, that's pretty terrible. I wouldn't put it there. Joe, Jim, Jim. What's Jim. Uh, well, it sounds like Scotty. Joe, Jim, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here fast. Well, what's up, Scotty? It's terrible, terrible. I went into the rooms and the bedrooms empty and the windows open. Where were they? I looked out the backyard and they was lying there, the two of them, in a heap. Mm, there's only us three left now, Joe. Boys, this is all Stebbins' work. Stebbins? Oh, Stebbins is dead. Joe is just telling me he thinks Larry faked his croaker. He's around somewhere, I tell you, and we're going to find him. Well, where do you think he is, Joe? I've got an idea. He's in the house next door. Then how would he get in here? Yeah, these used to be twin houses, Tim. There's a door in the cellar that connects them. Let's go and find out. I'll get my gun. I don't want to go there. Uh, get the police. It's their job. There's no time to get the police, Scotty. Well, then let's get out of here. Let's go anywhere. Oh, he'll get us for sure if we stay here. Scotty, Scotty, we've got to stick together. There's only three of us left now. Yeah, three of us and Stebbins. Ralph, what's happening? I I can't hear very well through this ventilator, but I'm sure that after he locked us in here, he went upstairs. I heard the door slam, so he probably went out. Oh, if he only hadn't locked us in here with these awful bodies. Oh, Diana. I suppose it's, it's no use even trying to think he isn't guilty. I'm afraid not, darling. After the way he's behaved. But he's my own stepfather. Whatever happens, I can't turn him over to the police. Maybe it won't be necessary. Once he's had his way for the last time in his life. You mean... Yes. Oh, it's horrible to say, but... I hope for his sake that he does it. Oh, if there were only a way of getting out of here, it would make sense to decide what to do. 
You don't mean we'll have to stay here. Well, unless someone finds us or he lets us out, I, I wouldn't be too hopeful. But that's impossible. Ralph, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Not in this terrible closet. Quiet, Anna. I think I hear footsteps upstairs. What is it? He must be back again. Sounds like more than one person. Diana, the door. The heavy door on the cellar wall that I told you about. It's opening. Can you see who it is? Is it Father? Not yet. Looks like three people. Scotty, I was right. Look, blood on the floor. It's Hazard. He's following the trail. Poor Dad, it's over for him. He'll reach to the closet. I had bet Pete and Charlie are in there. Maybe they'll find us. I'll call. No, Ralph, no. I'd rather die than tell them about my stepfather. I'm going upstairs, Tim. Let me have your gun. He's up there, Ralph. They'll find him. They'll kill him. I hear you, Joe. You want Scotty and me to come along? No. I think I can handle everything now. Yeah, we'll wait here, Joe. You'll stay down here. Put up your hands, hey. both of you. And move toward that closet door. Joe, don't push that gun at me. I Look. told you I'd be the last to go, but none of you would believe me. To the rest of you, this was just a game. But if I don't get the money and soon, I'm going to lose my hotel. There'll be only Stebbins and me. And the police will take care of him. No, no, no. You wouldn't choose an old pal, would you, Joe? I did in the others, Tim. No. Just you two left. <laughs> now, move towards that closet. Thank you. Please, I, I don't want to... No, don't let them. No. They're coming in no. here. There he is, Sergeant Boy. Okay, Mr. Stevens. There, Tommy. Got it, Tommy. Not this time, Joe Hazard. We're booking you for murder. Nice sitting out here in the park, ain't it, stranger? Yeah, Pop. Don't call me Pop. You know who I am? Nah. Yeah. Look at this clipping. Waterfront hotel keeper convicted for murder of seven on testimony of Lawrence Stebbins, retired shipping magnate. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yes, sir. Seven murders, and there needn't have been any. If I had stopped Joe Hazard before he finished them off. Really? Yes, sir. Went to eight funerals. But I really got a kick out of Joe Hazard's. Had to lock my stepdaughter and her husband up, too. They nearly grabbed my whole plan. You know, Joe Hazard thought he could plant all those murders on me. Uh, but you have to be pretty clever to outsmart Larry Stebbins. Listen, Pop, you're going to shut up? I'm reading. Okay, mister. I'll go. Eight funerals. No one will even talk to me. Uh, kind of lonely, though, now, Larry. Needed. No friends, no family. Yes, Larry, it's kind of lonely. Like a tomb. From shadows and stillness, mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubts and fears. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory in the haunting hour.
Well mates, I hope you enjoyed your remastered Murder Mysteries today. Murder Wears a Mask was really intriguing. A sharp bluff at the end, followed up by a stab straight to the point by the detective. I love seeing characters not only stick true to their persona, but also reward the audience for understanding the character's method of operation. Also, it was really refreshing seeing how Marsha and Ben refused to help the main protagonist, and they were initially claimed as being close friends. Friends that were only set up to push the protagonist Steve away as far as possible. Definitely took me by surprise, adding a unique flavor to this tale. Protagonists normally have everything. People helping them, support from detectives, police, and connections. This one is just that bit different, and for that, I love it. The only support given to Steve was by Roy, the detective running the case. Oh, and also the time constraint on finding the killer. I tells ya, that had my heart racing, because it meant a lot had to happen in a short space of time. Love these murder mysteries. The second tale, The Old Man's Game of Death. It was like listening to a battle royale game, or last man standing tournament, where all the contestants are over 80 years old, which in itself sounds hilarious, but the cruel, acidic tongue of these elderly men just got under my skin. The constant hate, the acidity in those old fellas just had me wincing. The ending was certainly a heart stopper. I actually had to listen to it a couple of times because I didn't quite get the ending. So correct me listeners if I got this wrong. Stibbons stops Joe Hazard, who is going to pin the murders on him. And the eight deaths are from previous people that Joe Hazard had killed and were also part of the pact that they all had made with each other. I was wondering then if he'd killed the couple plus his pals in the end or if he was referring to the eight people in the past that he had murdered. After all, he only shot two bullets at the end. It took me a little while, but I think it's the latter. Joe was referring to the eight previous kills, saving his friends and the couple. But let me know what you think. Maybe I got this wrong. Would be good to get another opinion. Mates, if you love these shows like I do, and enjoyed this one, take two seconds to swing onto my iTunes page and leave a review. Leave a name and some text, and I'll be ecstatic to read it out. My thank you to you. Or feel free to just leave a review and remain anonymous. You'll make my day mates either way. Take it easy, stay awesome, and I'll see you Wednesday for some horror fiction. Oh yeah, I cannot wait. As always mates, till next we meet.